10 years ago, I had a show on NPR that I created and hosted and produced called It's Your Health. And I got about four to six books a week at that time. And there was one that really stood out and really grabbed me and moved me. And it was incredible. And it still is incredible with an extra chapter, by the way. Well, it's the 10th anniversary of the incredible book, Brain on Fire, My Month of Madness. And joining us to talk about her life, her book, what's been happening. I'm so excited to catch up with that fantastic Susanna Kahalen. Hi, Susanna. Thank you so much. And I'm very honored that, you know, that made you that made an impression on you because I know you have a lot of books. <laughs> but yes, when I read your story, I mean, it just, it, it's so unbelievable. You're this 24 year old woman, you're living in New York, you're working, everything's fine. And then all of a sudden you wake up and you're strapped down and, and, you know, I always give too much away. So tell us a little bit, cause the book is incredible. I want people to get it. And then just kind of a little bit about that experience and then where you are now. Absolutely. So it was 2009, as you said, I was 24. Um, it started with just a slew of mysterious symptoms. Um, you know, it, it strangely really started with the numbness on one side, which was very concerning because it's a physical thing. But from there, um, it, in, in, you know, that was kind of dismissed. It was not, you know, turned out to be nothing. And then it kind of gravitated to more behavioral um, symptoms. So I felt depressed. I felt lethargic, um, almost flu-like, you know, just just not uninterested in life. And from there, ratcheted up in intensity very fast into a mania, kind of the opposite mania. Kind of, I talk fast anyway, but really right. talking very fast, grandiose. And then at that point, kind of cyclical between really intensely depressed, not just malaise, but, you know, crying hysterically out of control to this hypermanic state. Um, and they would ra- rapidly cycle back and forth. So that, that happened um, initially and was very concerning to my colleagues. Um, but that was only the beginning, really. Now, when that was going on, did you have any sense of like, what the hell is going on? Or were you just consumed? You, I don't even know how to ask this question. I hope I'm making no, sense. No, 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 it's, I think uh, that's an extremely valid question. I think um, kind of a combination. Uh, at that point, I had my my cognitive abilities were still at a place where I could say I, I was consumed by this thought of why am I so upset? And I tried to piece apart parts of my life. Like, is it my new relationship? Is it the job, the stress of living in New York City, X, Y, Z? I tried to like kind of figure it out through situational, what was going on around me. And it was a really highly stressful time. So in some ways, it, I could kind of shape um, something that made sense. And in fact, I diagnosed myself with bipolar disorder and felt so relieved because it made sense and I could explain why I felt so out of control. It was really terrifying to not be able to explain. Really, that that period of like just searching for an answer was really terrifying. I must be, I, I can't even imagine. That's why, again, people need to read the book Brain on Fire. A clock sort of was was a huge change. And it's interesting because I know they use that for people who have dementia or Alzheimer's or if they're curious, they ask you to draw a clock. And it will indicate something going on in your brain. So tell us about this for you. So yes, typically it's used for Alzheimer's and stroke patients. Um, It's kind of assessing different layers of cognition. As an aside, I actually saw a bunch of interesting clocks at the University of Massachusetts. They keep clocks from patients and they're all over the place. Interesting. wow. But yeah, um, but in my case, and I don't remember this, this is all pieced together from my doctor, my my parents in the medical record. Um, I think I remember it, but it's a false memory. Um, I wrote in all the numbers. I could write very slowly. I even had a hard time writing numbers at that point. I was so impaired at that point. But I put in all the numbers 
you know, one through 12 on the right hand side of the clock, completely neglecting the left side. So the left was entirely blank. And so my world was, it's a half world really is what I was seeing. I was, there was something seriously wrong going on with the right side of my brain, which is responsible for the left field of vision. And it was interesting at that point, I had had pretty much every conceivable test that that hospital had to offer almost every conceivable test. Um, and they all had come back negative. And there was just one pencil and paper, like, you know, how much does that cost? A couple right. cents. And it became the, the clue that would lead to my diagnosis. And tell people what your diagnosis is and that you were the 217th person diagnosed with this. Yes. Yes. I, it, exactly. <laughs> it's Literally. Literally. So it, the, the illness itself is called anti-NMDA receptor autoimmune encephalitis. And, you know, it's very a tongue twister name, but basically it's when the body's immune system, just like in any autoimmune disease, but in this case, the, the immune system targets and attacks the brain, the certain receptor in the brain called the NMDA receptor. Um, and the NMDA receptor is all over the brain. It's a building block of the uh, uh, neuron of the brain. Um, but it's, it's in high concentrations in areas that deal with learning, memory, and behavior. Um, if you shut down all of those neurons in lab mice, they die. If you shut down half, I think they go into a coast-like state. If you shut down a, a percentage, they start to behave really erratically. And it really does, um, it kind of does the same thing in humans as well. Oh, my gosh. So once they were able to say this is what it is, did they have a definitive treatment for that? You know, at that time, they still don't have a definitive treatment. Ten years later, now we're looking, you know, I'll tell you what, with mine, we do have a protocol, but it's not an FDA approved, you know, but it hasn't gone through clinical trials. They're right now, they're doing clinical trials, but that's another story. But um, what, in my case, I got um, uh, steroids, IV steroids at first, and then oral steroids. And then I had something called plasma exchange and IVIG treatment. And what it basically does, those combination of two things, they clear the blood of these harmful antibodies that are the things that attack those receptors. And they also donate new healthy donor antibodies to your system. So it's kind of a cleaning the blood situation. And then the steroids suppress the immune system so that your brain can heal, that these antibodies aren't continuing to attack these receptors. So that's that was my treatment. Now they've really kind of advanced and they probably would have given me a, a type of chemotherapy drug to further suppress the immune system. And so there are different protocols now in place that weren't when I was the 217th person. Uh, we've learned a lot since then. Um, but in, it, it worked for me. Uh, it took a long time, but um, it, you know, healing the brain is a slow and painful process. Yeah. You had to relearn everything, right? I mean, it wasn't just yeah. like, oh, I'm giving you these steroids and suddenly I'm back. It was just learning, wasn't it, to talk and walk and all, it was everything, activities, daily yeah. living, the whole. Exactly. When I left the hospital, I, I couldn't read, I couldn't write, I could barely walk on my own and I, I still had trouble swallowing liquids. There was, it, you know, your brain is involved in every single part of your body. So even the process of swallowing was affected by an area of the brain. So it's, it's, just, it's amazing. I mean, it's, it's, when you learn about the brain, it's kind of exciting coming from this place of this really privileged place of like recovering and being able to speak retrospectively about it, but learning about the functions of the brain and the interaction between mind and body, it's, it's really, it's incredible. Yeah. Now the boyfriend that you had at the time is your husband. So exciting. And you have twins? I do. Yes. Four-year-old twins. Mm -hmm. They're almost four. I didn't, I never realized this. Now I totally understand that talking to many people who 
had children and gone through that whole experience is that you become a patient again when you become a mother. And I didn't really, I didn't really prepare myself for, you know, my husband in particular was very distressed seeing me in a hospital gown again. And I bet I had some complications like everyone does with their pregnancy and, and had an experience where I was misdiagnosed and there was a, I was an interesting patient, um, which I could tell you, tell you the whole story, but I became an interesting patient again. And you didn't want that. I remember I read that in an article. Please don't call me that. Please. I just don't want that. And you know, it, it was like, we haven't seen this in 20 years. I'm like, I just never ever want that again. But um, you know, it was an interesting kind of um, return in a way, but in a very different context and, and having learned a lot, obviously, since then. Um, since that experience. Well, it must be just amazing to feel, to know that you, you're you helping so many people who, you know, I watched a story, I think it was on the Today Show, you know, this sophomore in college and everything's fine. And then all of a sudden the same things. And because of you, they're like, oh, we know what this thing is. I mean, what's that like? I mean, just when you said that, I got chills. Like it's, it never stops being miraculous. I don't know. I guess that's the word. I don't know what word that encapsulates how I feel about it. I mean, when I wrote, when I sold the book on proposal, every publisher, but one said it's too rare. No one's going to relate to it. And you know, I I mean, you know, I guess I get it. I don't know. I'm grateful for that one publisher, but um, it's amazing to see not only that it had this whole life, but that it helped people. I mean, it, People got diagnoses from the book. I, I can say that. It's just, you know, and not not one, you know, hundreds of people got diagnoses, maybe a hundred, dozens, let's say. I don't know. I mean, it's, I get an email at least once a week from someone telling me this and it's never fails to astound me. And, um, and it wasn't, I thought when I was working on this book, hopefully it just gets awareness out and people, yeah. and just that the life that it's had and that 10 years, I'm still talking about it, um, just another mind blowing thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm sure people always ask like, would you rather not have gone through this? Or would you be who you are today? And I'm sure that's difficult, right? Because he wants to go through this. But at the same time, you, you're helping people and it's, it's, it's expanded your life in a way that would have might maybe not happen, but maybe you'd be somewhere else. I mean, it's one of those sliding doors kind of things, you know, people seen that movie, right? Like, Oh, totally. where are we going? What happened? <laughs> I can tell you that my answer to that question is I wouldn't have taken it back now. Like, I think I was asked that question really soon after the book, around the when the book was coming out. And it was like, I was still very close to the diagnosis. So I still remembered it more clearly. But now it's like, my life has changed. And my own, I say selfishly, my life has changed. Just I have so much meaning and purpose in my life. Um, like, in a, it's a strange thing to say, but in a way it's like, I've accomplished what I should be like, in a way, I feel like this book is like, I've done what I, my purpose in life. Like I've yeah. done this book. I, I feel like that in a way, like they feel like that was, that's how I feel about the book, you know? Um, and that's an incredible, you know, it, it's come along. It's taken me a long time to come to that place, but yeah, I would yeah. not, I would not have changed it now for sure. I wouldn't have. The work that you've done now is incredible. I know there's a nonprofit as well. If you can yes. tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely. So I helped found, um, it was actually right in the aftermath of Brain on Fire becoming a paperback. And I have to say, I was overwhelmed by the um, outpouring of need. It was too much for me. I I just, I didn't have the resources, but also just like the expertise to deal with 
the amount of people who needed help. And I met this wonderful psychiatrist whose son had autoimmune encephalitis named Dr. Helen Egger. She was at Duke at the time. And she said something to me that way. I will never forget. She said, your book is enough. Like you, that was what you, that was your gift that you gave. And I would just, it gave, I loosened my burden and a little bit of having to just get everyone the proper diet. I felt really galvanized that I wanted everyone to get the diagnosis I did understandably, but it was, it was a lot. It was hard. Um, and so she, and so she and I connected and I found out that another person who had reached out to me, whose daughter unfortunately passed away from the condition, they were on the same floor at the same hospital and because of HIPAA laws, they didn't know each other. Oh. And so I connected them and they started that nonprofit and it's still going. I'm not involved anymore. They've really kind of taken off, taken it to their own level and done some amazing work. They're like the whole different board of, you know, directors and stuff are, are kind of doing incredible work out there. But um, yeah, they're, they're the place I tell everyone go there first. They have great resources. They can connect you to physicians who are knowledgeable. They have like, you know, patient advocates and they're, they're a great organization. Does, I only have a couple minutes, well, like a minute left, but does this experience, the experience you had, does it kind of give you hope? Because I think sometimes when you're in the thick of something and you're like, things are never going to get better. Things are horrible. Ah! It's like, oh, things, life changes all the time and there's yeah. hope. And that's the thing that's been, this book is very um, hopeful and very kind of um, a confirmation of medical advancement. It's interesting. My second book, I wrote a the second book called The Great Pretender. It's kind of a counter narrative to that. Oh, hopefulness. That. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a history of psychiatry, which I think was a, a little bit of a temperament of some of that enthusiasm, which was necessary. I mean, I'm still very hopeful. Um, I think you have to be. Tell us your website so we can all get your wonderful book. SusannaCahalan.com. 